Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. We're still in 1 Kings chapter 2. We're at the very end of 1 Kings chapter 2. And today I'm calling it 1 Kings 2. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. I want to tell you a story about something that I don't like talking about too much. Before I married my wife, Anna, I had a friend that I helped take off the streets. He needed a place to live. He was out of work. And I let him come into my house to give him a place for a while. But he decided not to look for a job. He was a very toxic, argumentative individual, and I didn't find this out until he moved in. I had known him for some many years, so it's not like I'm taking was taking in somebody that I didn't know. But when he came in to my house, he started abusing his time there, and so I up front before he even came in, I set a time limit before he had to leave. That means you got to find a job, and you need to find it fast. Get get some work and get back on with your life. I'll help you for now. And his deadline was approaching. But for the time he was there, I provided everything, food, shelter, everything he needed. He lived in my house. I even gave him his own bedroom to sleep in. But I noticed he was not looking for a job. He started to drink and smoke in my house. He threw his cigarette butts all over the place. And I said, you need to clean those up. Well, instead of throwing them in the front yard, he started throwing them in the backyard. And in the, when I said, don't throw them in the backyard, he started throwing them in the trash can. I, I didn't want them in the house at all to start a fire. Well, one day he told me, I am sick and tired of eating these dinky sandwiches that you keep giving me. And also, why are we only drinking water? Okay, that just did it. That, that, that was enough. I know that you are listening to me and you're thinking, oh, no, this guy's done. <laughs> and so I said, you know, I've got a good mind to get you out of here right now. But I gave you my word that I would give you some a certain time limit, and I'm going to stick to my word, but you're going to find a job. And I said, have you found any jobs? He goes, no. So I went and got online. Within five minutes, I had found him at least 15, 20 jobs that he could apply for. He wasn't trying. He was abusing the time and the provision. He was abusing the mercy and the grace that I was offering him. So finally, I said, look, the reason I'm letting you have this is for your benefit. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. One day, though, the Lord told me that he did not have much longer to live. And so I was figured he needs to he needs to get going. He needs to get where he can be around other people that can take care of him. Because at the time I was doing field work and I was always gone. I would leave to go to New Mexico. I'd be in California. I was afraid he was going to die in my house and nobody was ever going to know or be able to help him because he would have been alone. So I had no choice. He had no job. He had nowhere to go. So I had to take him to a shelter where in downtown Houston where he could have people around him because he was so, his life was so toxic 
that he was just destroying everything of his and mine. He wanted help, but he refused to straighten himself up. He refused to align with the offers that he had been given. And the closer I got him to the shelter, the worse he got. We got closer to that shelter that day, and he started to curse me. He started to blame me for all his problems. And the end result was that it brought him down at his own cost. Because out of love for this man, yes, even as edgy as he was, I did offer him mercy, but he just simply did not want it. He just didn't want it. Now, as I said, I don't like telling this story because it's a very sad story, but it does relate to 1 Kings chapter 2, where we can where we're going to continue with Solomon. He had condemned Adonijah. And then he fired Abiathar from the priesthood because they were toxic. These were toxic men. They destroyed everything. They just were not going to abide. They destroyed everything they touched. These guys worked against King Solomon, who had actually offered mercy to them. But as the king, Solomon had to lay down some rules. He had to lay down some boundaries of the way things are going to be. If you're going to stay here, good. But if not... You cannot do this here. And so he had to lay down some guidelines to administer justice according to the terrible things that these men had done. And there's still more bad guys to deal with as we move along in 1 Kings 2 and 28. Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. It's so interesting how word the news got to Joab about Adonijah's execution. Because remember, he had uh, Solomon had just had Adonijah executed for his crime. And man, that, that news of the execution got to Joab quick. And Joab knew immediately he's next. He's Because he was in that same party of rebels. He knew that his turn was coming up next. And so Joab did the same thing that Adonijah did back in 1 Kings chapter 1. He ran to the tabernacle and he took hold of the horns of the altar because that's the place where people would take refuge and ask for forgiveness when they were in danger. The Mosaic law, the law of Moses, provided refuge there at the altar for anyone who wanted to be protected. It would protect them except for murderers. Murderers would get no protection under that law. Let me show you where it says so in Exodus 21, 14. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So now the question comes to my mind, and you, uh, maybe you caught it too. You might wonder, why did Joab hold on to the horns of the altar even though he knew that the law of Moses could not save him because he was a murderer. Knowing that he committed murder, why did he hang on to the horns of the altar? What what was the point of that? I think that probably Joab thought maybe Solomon was only after him because of Joab's part with Adonijah to try to take the throne. I think Joab was thinking, you know what? 
Maybe Solomon does not know that I killed anybody. Maybe he's only after me because I tried to help Adonijah steal the throne. So you can see that Joab was hiding from a king that he refused to submit to. He thought maybe Solomon, he was banking on the fact, hoping anyway, that Solomon did not know about the murders that he had committed. So when he held on to the altar horns, Joab showed that he was hoping for the law to save him. Joab was hoping that the law was going to save him. Joab did not realize that if he hid from the king, then the law could not save him either. We're going to get to that. First Kings 2 and 31. Then the king said to him, do as he has said and strike him down and bury him that you may take away from me and from the house of my father, the innocent blood, which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel and Amasa, the son of Jather, the commander of the army of Judah though my father David did not know it. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. Guys, Joab's continual rebellion caused his guilt to remain on his own head. I want you to look at what Solomon said in verse 33 that the blood shall therefore return. Did you see that word, return? It shall return upon the head of Joab. When somebody says this, that the blood returns on their head, this figuratively means that the guilt and the punishment of that crime, it transfers, it is placed on them. They have the guilt upon themselves. I hope you can see that this means that guilt is transferable. It can be moved. It was Let it return to him. All that Joab had to do here, if he had done it, all he had to do was submit to the king. Remember when Adonijah bowed down to the king, oh, please save me, spare me? Joab could have done that, but he didn't. He refused to bow to the king till the very, very end. And so, therefore, since he didn't plead and confess and, oh, please forgive me, it could have transferred off. It could have been maybe forgiven in some way if the king had chosen to do so. He didn't do it. And so all that punishment, all the guilt, it returned, it came back, it was placed upon Joab, on him. But why, though? Why was it put on him? What was the end result of convicting Joab for his crimes? Why did they have to condemn Joab? So, because I mean, you're asking, why kill him? There's a reason why we are told that Joab had to pay for his crimes, and it is given to us. We are explained why in verse 33. It says, so that there would be peace upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, that there shall be peace forever from the Lord. Friends, what we see here is that in order for there to be peace, the sinner had to die. In order for there to be peace, the sinner had to die with the guilt on him. 1 Kings 2 and 34. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. Okay, so we had both Joab and Abiathar replaced. Remember, Abiathar was fired. That was, he was fired from the priesthood. That was to fulfill 
what the Lord had said about Eli a long time ago, their positions were now been filled again. They've been replaced. 1 Kings 2 and 36. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kedron, know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, The saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Okay, Solomon was obeying David's commands that he ordered before David had died. He said, remember earlier in the chapter, David said, bring Shimei's gray hair down to the grave with blood. David told him to do the same thing to Joab as well. But remember how Solomon had offered mercy to Adonijah for his takeover attempt. Well, here in verse 36 to 38, Solomon is still offering mercy. You see this, even to Shimei, a guy that didn't deserve it. In 2 Samuel 16, when David was fleeing from Jerusalem to escape from Absalom, that's when Absalom tried to steal the throne. So on his way out of Jerusalem, Shimei attacked and cursed David. And even one of David's soldiers, one of David's guys says, hey, you want me to kill this guy? He, he's attacking us. He physically attacked and verbally attacked. But let's get this picture here. This guy that attacked David. Shimei had personally attacked the king, but look, Solomon was offering him a way out. Here's a way out. I'm giving you a way out. What's interesting, though, is that Shimei said, yeah, okay, I agree to these terms. He said, yes, I agree to these terms. Shimei, the guilty one here, he had to abide by the terms strictly or he was going to die. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Solomon told him, as long as you stay in Jerusalem, don't you dare try to cross that Kidron Brook or else you're going to die. And so those were the terms he agreed to. So what was the big danger? What's the problem with crossing this Kidron Brook? What was so wrong with that? Just east of the Kidron Brook is where the Benjamites lived. And Shimei himself was a Benjamite. And the reason why Shimei attacked King David is because he accused David of being very bloodthirsty, he thought that the crown should still be with the line of Benjamin, because Saul was a Benjamite. Shimei and Saul were both Benjamites, and Shimei hated David so much because David was the tribe of Judah. A Benjamite should have the throne, not you, you bloodthirsty David. That was, his, that was Shimei's problem. And so the very reason why Solomon commanded Shimei, do not cross that Kidron Valley, is because he knew that if Shimei crossed over the Kidron, then it would be because he was going back over into Benjamite territory to stir up trouble all over again. So let's get this straight. The king did not suggest, he didn't suggest, he didn't give it as an option. He commanded him, he ordered him, you stay put in the place where I give you do not cross that Kidron. You stay in the safe place that I, is, I have designated for you, because if you leave it, then that will tell me that you are still intent on committing trouble. Now, this is like that mercy test that Solomon offered to Adonijah. If he proves himself worthy, he will be fine. You remember when he said that? But if wickedness is found in him, then he will die. That's what Solomon said about Adonijah. It's the same offer is going to Shemai from Solomon. Now, a major point to notice here, the Shimei agreed to the terms. He says, yeah, the saying is good. I will do it. So now it's Shimei's turn to prove 
himself that he has really submitted to the king's authority or not. King Solomon was not going to allow any more trouble out of guys like this, out of Israel's worst offenders. He's just taken them out. They have proven a track record of being bad guys that we're not going to turn. So let's recall the the terms one more time. As long as Shemai stayed where the king commanded him in Jerusalem, then he would live. But if Shemai demonstrated persistent rebellion, then he would die for it. 1 Kings 2 and 39. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shemai ran away to Achish, the son of Mecha, king of Gath. And they told Shemai, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shemai arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shemai went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shemai had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shemai and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said moreover to Shemai, You know as your heart acknowledges, all the wickedness that you did to my father, David. Therefore, the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Now, most people today, they only see the fact that Solomon had somebody killed, that Solomon killed, and that's all they see. What most people miss is that Solomon absolutely bent over backwards to do everything he could to be merciful with this guy. King Solomon gave him every chance under the sun to help this guy out, to give him a place. You stay here, it'll be all right, but he just didn't want it. The guy just didn't want it. Shemai did not want it. So after three years, Shemai probably figured, oh, God, it's been three years. He's probably forgotten by now. So he broke the terms that he himself agreed to keep with the king and went outside of Jerusalem and crossed out to where he was not supposed to go. You know, some people in this world are just hard-boiled trouble. I was once that guy myself. Thank God I was saved and A lot of people had patience with me, but you know, some people just never turn. They just never will. And such people will lie to your face that they are not being deceitful at all. But give it enough time. In this case for Shemai, three years, give it enough time. They will prove who they really are. They can only hold the act, the the fakery, the trickery, the phony, the, the phony theatrics up for so long, and then they will prove who they really are. So Solomon got to see proof that Shemai's attitude had not changed one bit. He was still a guy that just did whatever he wanted to, which demonstrated that Shemai had no regard for Solomon's authority at all. And because of this, Solomon's main concern was over the security of the throne. It was over the safety of the kingdom, the people that he was in charge of of ruling. He had to keep them safe. And the Bible says that after Shemai's execution, as well as after the executions of both Joab and Adonijah, 
then the kingdom was established. That means it was now firm. It was good. Everything's okay. The rebels are gone. This tells me that a kingdom is not fully established until all the enemies of the kingdom are condemned. A kingdom is not fully established until the enemies are gone. So as it says in verse 46, after Shemai was killed, the kingdom was firmly established in the hand of Solomon. Now, as extreme as this might seem, a king does have to condemn his enemies that refuse to turn around. That's one thing that kings will do. But let's not forget. I mean, you get, you're getting hung up on the fact that he had him killed. Don't forget that King Solomon offered Shemai a way out. He gave him a way out. Friends, you and I are offenders. We have broke God's law. We have done terrible bad things in our sin. But he, the king, Jesus, he's given us a way out. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You notice the word if here, if you confess, if you confess with your mouth. This means that not everyone that's offered salvation is going to take it. A lot of people are not really going to accept it, but that's why it says, if you confess. You know, Solomon told Shimei he'd be okay if he accepted the king's terms. But Shimei did not really submit to the king's terms. He did not submit to his authority. He said he did. Oh, the saying is good to me. I like that. It's my way out. I'll take it. I'll take it, king. Thank you. Thank you, king. But he never really submitted to it. To parallel this picture over to us, if we will accept Jesus' offer of salvation for real and not just agree to it with some kind of a fake acknowledgement like Shemai did, then we will not be condemned. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, if Shemai had stayed in Jerusalem, if he had stayed where the king told him to, then he would have been safe. Because that was the king's appointed place of safety that he was offered. Friends, we are offenders because of sin. And King Jesus has offered us a place of safety. In him, in Jesus Christ the Lord, there's a place of safety. There's no other way to be saved. He has given us a way out, though. There's no other way. So now in the case of Joab, he refused to submit to the king. But he grabbed onto the altar horns because he thought maybe the law would save him. But because the king knew his guilt, then not even the law could save him. Romans 8 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. See, all of us are guilty, and the law cannot save us because King Jesus knows our guilt. You know, there's some people that say, oh, yeah, the law can save you if you do it right. You got to do it right. No, no, no. You, you're already guilty. We're already sinners. We've already broken the law. You can't do anything right. That's like if a murderer went to a judge and he committed murder, but he says, oh, but I'll do everything right from here on out. No, no, no. The law has already convicted you. You're already condemned. You can't change that from now. The law didn't save you now. You're guilty. But where the law could not save us, God sent his own son, Jesus, to take care of what the law could not do. Hebrews seven nineteen, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. I love that. Better hope through which we draw near to God.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life.